You're listening to a Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference podcast. The 10th annual Tudor in Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at the Royal Irish Academy on the 19th and 20th of August 2022. The conference was generously supported by the Royal Irish Academy and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the conference was recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media in association with History Hub. You can access the archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Annie Cabeza from University College Dublin, entitled He Hath Strayed from the Truth All the Heavens Wide, Kinds of Authority in Edmund Spencer's View on the Present State of Ireland and Richard Stanihurst's Plain and Perfect Description of Ireland. So I've, I've titled my paper Kinds of Authority, and by that I mean the ways in which Spencer and Stanahurst are claiming authority. How are they citing authority? How are they saying that they know things and proving these things, or, you know, perhaps proving these things to be so? Um, so there have been, in the last sort of 100 years of scholarship on Spencer's uh, view of the present state of Ireland, several academics who have commented on the relationship between Spencer's treatise to Stanahurst's body of work on Irish history, shall we say. Uh, in particular, recently, in the last sort of 50 years, uh, Nicholas Canny and Willie Maley. Uh, Canny goes so far as to assert that Spencer's view is directly in conversation with Stanahurst's description. Uh, Spencer's dialogue actually is between two Englishmen, Eudoxus, who has never been to Ireland but has read about the English sort of colonial project there, and Irenaeus, who has recently returned from Ireland and witnessed the Second Desmond Rebellion. Uh, whilst neither of the men in the dialogue represent Stanahurst himself, obviously, uh, Eudoxus mentions having read Stanahurst's work, uh, referencing his neo-Latin work on Irish history, Doribus in Hibernia Gestis. Um, Apologies, this is long, but important. Um, Believe me, this observation of yours, Irenaeus, is very good and delightful. Far beyond the blind conceit of some whom I remember have upon the same word Farah made a very blunt conjecture, as namely Mr. Stanahurst, who, though he have been from the same uh, same country man born, that should search more nearly into the secrets of these things, yet hath strayed from the truth all the heavens wide, as they say. Uh, a statement I'm sure we've all thought about some people at some point. Um, for he thereupon groundeth a very gross imagination that the Irish should descend from the Egyptians, which came unto that land, first under the leading of Scotia, the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, whereupon they use, saith he, uh, in all of their battles to call upon Pharaoh, crying, Farah, Farah. Surely he shot wide on the bow hand and very far from the mark. For I would first know of him what ancient ground of authority he hath for such a senseless fable. And if he hath, uh, and if he have any of the rude Irish books, as it may be he hath, uh, yet me seems a man of his learning should not so lightly have been carried away with old wives' tales from approvance of his own reason. For whether Scotia be like an Egyptian word or smack of any learning or judgment, let the learned judge. But his Scotia rather comes upon the Greek Scoto, that is, darkness, which has not let him see the light of truth. So, several different ways in which Stanhurst is completely wrong there. Um, so here Stanhurst is represented as someone whose historical work blindly restates uncorroborated facts, with no regard for their likelihood. 
Stanahurst's status as having been born in Ireland is mentioned and cited as a reason why Stanahurst should be more invested in Irish history, uh, but does not give him any kind of factual authority, right? He doesn't know anything about Ireland because he was born there, but because he was born there, he should want to know. Uh, Stanahurst's scholarship is in particular represented as being physically distant from the truth of the matter, right? He has strayed from the truth all the heavens wide, and he shot wide on the bow hand and very far from the mark. Um, so Stanahurst does, in his Derivus, mention this theory and also writes, as to whether that noun bears that significance, I am completely ignorant. I leave that to be discussed by those who are more skilled in the Irish tongue. What's interesting about this is it's a very trivial moment in the Derebus. It's not particularly emphasised, um, and Spencer chooses to pick up on it. Um, this is not the main disagreement between the view uh, and Stanahurst's writing on Ireland. The main disagreement is basically sort of Old English versus New English. But it serves as a good illustration of not only the differences between them, but also how Spencer deals with the sort of the spectre of Stanahurst's writing in his work. Um, Canny writes that Spencer is not only directly responding to Stanahurst, and in particular Stanahurst's description in the view, uh, but also does, such in, does so in such a way that would have made his intentions clear to readers who would have most likely <laughs> been familiar with Stanahurst's description as it appeared in Hollinshed's Chronicles. That's where the description is from. It's the section on Ireland in Hollinshed's Chronicles. Uh, and Canny has this idea that there's kind of a wink and a nod thing going on that he thinks, you know, to the extent that he expected readers, they might have been familiar and so would have picked up on this sort of, these references. But the text itself is also a dialogue, but it's not a dialogue between Spencer and Stanahurst or even between Irenaeus and a stand-in for someone with Stanahurst's views. Instead, He's placed in conversation with Eudoxus, someone who has no direct experience of the situation, but has read works such as those by Stanahurst. Um, whilst Irenaeus's first-hand knowledge of the country is cited as a source of authority, um, Stanahurst's geographical proximity is given no bearing on his proximity to the factual substance of Irish history. Uh, he has the same kind of factual experience that Irenaeus has of Ireland, has been an active participant in Old English society and had, at one point, hoped to take on the same kind of role in Dublin politics that his father, who had been Speaker of the Irish House of Commons, and grandfather, who had been Lord Mayor of Dublin, had. Uh, yet, in the view, he is this easily disproven straw man, represented as having been led astray by you know, rude Irish books and old wives' tales, are the words that Spencer uses. Uh, these criticisms of Stanahurst's work are about sources, right? Stanahurst has fallen prey to unreliable sources, and thus his work is simply, similarly unreliable. Uh, but we can also learn from what Spencer says what kind of authority you know, these two men would respect. They are surprised that a man of learning would report such a story. Uh, Stanahurst had been educated first at Kilkenny College under Peter White and then University College Oxford. And they contrast the Irish sources that they suspect him of using with, you know, ancient ground of authority, which is presumably classical sources. Um, this particular passage makes reference to Stanahurst's Derebus, but so that work had been printed in Leyden. Uh, Canny and Maley talk about how more likely Stanahurst's contribution to Hollinshed, his description, was more widely read among the English who had read about Ireland, people like Eudoxus who had read about Ireland but have no first-hand knowledge of the place. Um, Given this, it's interesting that Spencer takes issue with the choice of sources because one of the key aspects of the description is how Stanhurst derives his authority 
from various sources of the history of Ireland and very carefully sort of markates where he's coming from. In fact, Stanahurst actually describes himself as having compiled rather than written or composed the work. Um, and in his introductory description of the process of compiling, he frequently describes the process of creating work as working with the pre-existing raw materials of the culture and history of Ireland, uh, rather than sort of making or creating something himself. He begins with an explanation that he is writing this from certain brief notes made by Edmund Campion on his subject for Campion's own history of Ireland that Stanahurst had been helping. Uh, he'd been helping Campion research. These notes are now left in Stanahurst's possession. Um, in one passage, the notes are described as pieces of garment that have been left to Stanahurst to be completed. Uh, Stanahurst, is, however, is aware that his coarse pack thread could not have been suitably knit with his fine stick, uh, and is concerned that if he were to add to the text, what a disgrace it were, hugely to botch up a rich garment by clouting it with patches of sundry colour. Yet even Stanahurst's depiction of Campion discusses his composition process as a refinement of pre-existing material rather than a creative or compositional effort. Stanah Campion would have bravely polished the raw history of Ireland, but as his work is unfinished, it's left roughly hewed when it would have become smooth planed. Uh, Stanahurst's metaphors tend to imply that there is some sort of essential factual substance that makes up the history of Ireland, and the work of first Campion and now himself uh, is to create something or even refine something from that raw material. Uh, it certainly is true that both Stanhurst and Campion were working with multiple pre-existing sources on the history of Ireland. Uh, historians have commented on the debt that Stanhurst's historical writing owes to, in particular, uh, Gerald of Wales. Uh, similarly, Stanhurst's cites works of Bede, uh, Hector Boeis, and the Polo uh, Polychronon... Chronicon, sorry, uh, as well as referencing in order to dispute the work of one M. Alan Cope, who uh, that by itself is a whole other story of sort of misappropriation of sources. Um, in contrast to Stanahurst's frequent assertion of sources, uh, Spencer begins the view by asserting how Irenaeus's authority is derived from personal experience, right? Uh, the text starts with Eudoxus asking, but if that country of Ireland whence you so lately came be so goodly and commodious a soil as you report, I wonder that no course is taken for the turning thereof to good uses uh, and reducing that salvage nation to better government and civility. This establishes his authority on Ireland. He's described as having lately come, but it also suggests that this is not the beginning of the discussion between these two men. There's, there's a kind of prior discussion taking place that has been of factual substance, and this is now, you know, the beginning of this text is signalling we're working into opinion. Um, Eudoxus has heard Irenaeus's report on the country already. He has been told of the goodly and commodious soil, um, and even, you know, he's been told about the salvage nation of people. He begins to posit hypothetical questions of how government and civility might be imposed, um, giving Eudoxus this opportunity to present, as the title suggests, a view on the country. Um, and they're quite leading questions. They're quite open. They are, you know, Spencer's basically setting himself up to be asked the questions he wants in order to write what he wants, of course. Um, Spencer's choice of the dialogue format allows him to draw on the authority of personal experience and places personal experience in direct contrast to the authority of, you know, Eudoxus's reading, which is secondhand, um, of course, Stanahurst had experience of the country of Ireland, but whilst he draws on this in the description, he frequently declares his authority to come from the work of others. 
Even when drawing on his own experience, he uses the first-person plural to summon this kind of multiplicity of voices standing alongside him. Uh, Spencer using the first-person singular that a dialogue format allows for argues against this kind of work by asserting that personal experience has proven the opposite. Of course, some of this is framing, right? Stanahurst, unlike Spencer, has framed his work as factual rather than discursive. He is writing a description rather than a view. Yet he is certainly also writing a work with a particular point of view. Indeed, so much so that his contribution to Hollandshed was censored and had to be altered. Um, and one key place in which Stanhurst is very clearly engaging in persuasive discourse rather than factual reporting is in his discussion of the Irish language, as in this passage here. In the olden times, when the Romans were first acquainted with the Greek tongue, as it is as it is commonly the nature of man to be delighted with newfangled wares. So he was uh, accompted no gallant among the Romans that could not prattle and chat Greek. Marcus Cicero, father unto Tully, being at that time steeped in years, perceiving his countrymen to become changelings in being bill-wise and pole-maids and to suck the, with the Greek the conditions of Grecians as to be in worlds talkative, in behaviour light, in conditions quaint, in manners haught, in promises unsteadfast, in others rash, in bargaining, wavering, which reckoned for Greekish properties in those days. The old gentleman not so much responding to respecting the neatness of the language as the naughty fruit it brought forth, it brought with it, said that his countrymen, the Romans, resembling the bond slaves of Syria. For ye more perfect they were in the Greek, the worse they were in their manners and life. If this gentleman had been now living and had seen what alteration had happened in Ireland, through the intercourse of languages, he would, I dare say, break patience and would demand why the English pale is more given to learn Irish than the Irish man willing to learn English. Here, the authority he cites for his argument comes from what he sees as an analogous example in classical history, rather than a direct source on Ireland itself. What is particularly interesting about this example is that Stanahurst's discussion of the Irish language represents a place in which he, at least in the views he expresses in this passage, is somewhat of an outlier among the old English community. Uh, Stanahurst's attitudes towards the Irish language throughout the description is very hostile. Um, at one point, he calls it a canker that has putrefied the pale. Um, but then he does an about turn. Uh, when he comes to write his Derebus um, about two decades later, he is keen to distance himself from the opinion, or indeed to claim that he has never spoken ill of the Irish language at all. It's very sort of, you know, oh, I've always loved Irish. Um, Stanhurst asserts in his Derebus that he did not mean to belittle the Irish language in his description. He writes that he did not set out to attack with unconsidered criticism a language of which I have little knowledge or experience. And he also asserts that he has a long been convinced of the, by the authority of serious scholars that it is rich in lofty vocabulary, elegance of diction, and a subtle pungent wit. Further, I am convinced that it is cognate to the Hebrew through a common connection. This is obviously a sharp contrast to his assertion in the description that as fluent as the Irish tongue is, yet it lacketh diverse words and borroweth them verbatim from England. Or his recounting of an acquaintance joking that I stand in doubt whether I tell you whether the apostles in their copious martyr of languages in Jerusalem could have spoken Irish. Um, Quite something for a language he apparently thinks is cognate with Hebrew. Yet, you know, a couple of decades later, Stanhurst wishes not only to sing the reported praises of the Irish language, but also to claim that he has always felt this way. Um, and there are many reasons why Stanhurst's attitude 
might have moved between his uh, between his writing of the description and the Derebus, um, you know, uh, 10 years is a very long time, and uh, 20, I suppose. And in that time, Stanahurst had left Ireland. Uh, the situation in Ireland had changed dramatically. And also, he's writing for a different audience. He's not writing for something to be published in England for a largely English audience. Um, yet Stanahurst's changed attitude towards the Irish language does not mean that he himself is capable of understanding the language. As I mentioned earlier, in his discretion of the Ferrar Ferro link, he explicitly states that he does not speak the Irish language with sufficient skill to evaluate the sources of this claim. And so while Spencer criticises Stanahurst's possible use of rude Irish books, um, another critic of his, uh, Geoffrey Keating, levels at him perhaps what is a far more pertinent criticism that he fails to understand the culture and history of Ireland because of his failures to use Irish language sources. Um, in the world of Geoffrey Keating, Benedict Cunningham's brilliant book on Keating's uh, historical work, uh, Cunningham translates Keating as writing that Stanhurst was not capable of reading either the law or the land or law of the land or the medicine in their own language. And if they had been read to him, he had no comprehension of them. He had never understood the books in which they were written because Gaelic alone was their proper language and he was out and out ignorant of it. Here, instead of criticism for, you know, uh, uh, instead of criticism of, you know, allowing himself to be persuaded by rude Irish sources, Keating levels what is probably a much more reasonable argument against Stanahurst's sources, or perhaps lack thereof, that in his refusal to engage with the Irish language, and even when he's willing to accept it, his refusal to, or his sort of skirting of those sources, he is missing out on a large sort of historical body of historical evidence. And we can see here that uh, rather than sort of this idea of him being overcome by rude Irish sources, perhaps the better criticism is his ignorance of them. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. You can access the entire archive of Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcasts on History Hub's website, historyhub.ie, as well as on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify.